Hello and welcome to So How Do You, the podcast that's your little black book for interiors. I'm your host, Laura Jackson, and I'll be speaking to two guests in every episode who will give you both design, inspiration and practical know-how. If you've been wanting to give a dusty shed a new lease of life, or you've got a nook at the bottom of your garden, lucky you, waiting to be turned into a trendy little haven, then I promise you will walk away from this episode brimming with inspiration, regardless of your budget. My first guest has a garden outhouse like honestly nothing I've ever seen before. It's intricate, it's bold, it's beautiful. It belongs to interior designer Beata Human. Now, Beata is sharing heaps of advice on how to do up your pre-existing shed DIY style, but with all the attention given to any other room in the house. My second guest is on the other end of the spectrum because Dudley Radford is the design director at a cabbing making company called Hutsmith. Now, they specialise in making all singing, all dancing, bespoke, scandy kind of style outhouses. They're amazing. But listen, don't worry if your budget doesn't quite stretch to a hutsmith because Dudley will be sharing how to add all of the bells and whistles from one of his cabins into a summer house or even a shed that you could easily pick up from a B&Q. Before we get into the podcast this week, I wanted to tell you about my wonderful sponsor, Wix, who you will hear more about over the series. I feel like they are the perfect fit, offering ideas and advice when making improvements to your home, from helping to save energy, something I know we are all thinking about, to making small changes that make a big difference. Did you know that 25% of your home's heat is lost through a poorly insulated roof? Or that by switching to LED bulbs, you can save money on your energy bills and the planet at the same time? Now, I know that some of these jobs vary in ability and can potentially sound scary, but with Wix, they guide you every step of the way. So rather than breaking the bank on a full refurb, focus on the smaller, more manageable jobs, like repainting your skirting boards for that bold statement rather than painting an entire room. Follow along as we cover all this and more this series. For information on how to get started, visit wix.co.uk. When I say Beata's shed is like nothing I've ever seen before, I truly mean it. It's small, but it really packs a punch. So the inside is painted post box red. And then from ceiling to floor, there's this hand-painted monochrome leaf print and it's furnished with a lovesy lighting and artwork. It's been photographed for features all around the world in the Financial Times, Forbes, Architectural Digest, and House and Garden magazine. There's a link in the show notes and I urge you to look now. It's beautiful. Now, Beata is here to shed light, no pun intended, on how a trusty old summer house can be revitalised, how to add clever finishing touches and how to decorate your four wooden walls with Beata flair. Beata, tell us a little bit about your garden shed, although let's be honest, I'm not sure that we could call it a shed. So what what (laughs) would you name a summer house? Well, I mean, I actually inherited the summer house from the previous owner of this house. I can't, I can't take full credit. Um, they, it was already named when we bought the house, and the name that was given to the garden house is Chatsworth. <laughs> so <laughs> that's what we call it. I love that you've got Chatsworth in your garden I mean that is absolutely amazing it's probably not what I would have called it but it seemed you know we just couldn't change it it's just what it's called could you could you not rename it or rechristen it I guess it could have but they were sort of 
so proud of it and um, like the key they gave us had chats with on the key ring and we just we thought it was quite funny and like I've actually met people since who know of Chatsworth because they used to like be good friends with it actually like a potential new client this like pop star no less um knew all about Chatsworth because she was he was friends with the daughter in the family and they used to like hang out in there and you know probably smoke a lot of weed from what I can tell um so uh I'm quite I think it was right to to stick with the name Oh my goodness, it sounds like Chatsworth has really seen some sights and had some uh, exciting parties in there. I think so. It's lived lived a lot of life from what I can understand. (laughs) Um, Visually then, can you kind of explain it to us? What's its position in the garden? What is its exterior? What's its size? So it is probably around two by three metres, something like that, in terms of the footprint. And I think it's got like a bit of a pitch roof, which is maybe like, to meter 60 or something at the highest point. It's at the very back of our quite small garden. So it's sort of in the back left-hand side corner as you look at it from the house, which is basically facing southwest. And um, it's kind of, I don't really know how to describe it. So like I said, I, I the, the person who lived, the owner of the house, he was a bit of a kind of hobby carpenter, quite good. and. They must have bought it, I think it was sort of, he built it, but I think he bought it kind of off the shelf as a as a little house. Uh, and then he put, constructed it himself. But it's, it's almost kind of gothic in its expression. And two sides are kind of completely glass with these kind of gothic windows. And then one, the other corner is kind of hung and groove. And that's sort of how it was when we got it. And then I went to town with the, with the decoration of it. And the outside is painted green. I did paint it. I sort of just tried to match what they had. I did have to repaint it at one point. But I think it's light shown from Farrow and Ball. And it's basically just meant to blend in with the garden and like the landscape around it, which works quite well. So it sort of sits quite lightly in the garden. It's not too, it doesn't sort of grab your attention really. But I then went on to paint the walls like bright red and this like quite grabbing pattern. So in that sense, you do see it now from the from the outside. But I'm quite pleased with the kind of green exteriors and then green exterior and then really bright interior. I mean, how did you decide what to do with it when you took it on? Because obviously, I'm guessing you did want to be quite sympathetic to what it was used for before. But were there any discussions with your husband into turning it into the man cave or an actual shed? Or did you kind of want it to be an extension of the house? Um, I think my husband at one point wanted it to be a home office, which I was really against. And I just didn't think he would really use it. I think I was right on that. To begin with, it was sort of the last thing that we did. So we used it as storage when we were doing up the house. And basically at the very end, we did that up. So at that point, I, I knew what the house looked like. Quite often, I think sometimes, you know, I'm quite known for doing colourful work. But in actual fact, if you look at walls and stuff like that, they're quite often quite light in colour, quite neutral colours. And I bring colours in with, you know, pattern and fabrics and stuff like that. The reason why I do that is because I think you can get quite bored of really strong colours if they're in your house. Sometimes it's the right thing to do. But overall, I think it's better to keep it fairly neutral in terms of wall colours. So Chatsworth was a really good place to really, you know, do something a bit bolder because I hadn't really done that in, in the house itself and spend a fair amount of time there. But to be honest, I, I always knew we would sort of use it less than the, 
the rest of the house you sort of wouldn't get bored of it in the same way as I think you would have using such a bright red color in the house the other thing why I think that color works is because it's only on two walls and the other two walls are actually kind of glass um I hope the listeners can see a photograph of it so they so they understand what I mean so when you actually sit in there you're not really looking at those bright red walls but you do see it like my the most exciting thing about Chatham, I think, was when I thought of buying this like 13 pound remote controlled socket from Amazon. So when I'm in my kitchen, like, you know, all year around, we normally tend to sit in Chatsmouth a little bit more like, in, you know, when it's warm outside, that I actually can now from my kitchen turn on the lights in the summer house from my kitchen. And it really, I was like so pleased with myself when I thought of this. It was like the best home improvement I've ever done. And it basically means like in the middle of winter, you, you turn the lights on and you see this like really inviting, like bright red kind of statement at the back of the garden instead of it just being completely dark and like the girls love it obviously turning the lights on and off and yeah it's great it's it's very much part of our living space even though we're not always in there if that makes sense yeah oh my god that sounds like the most inexpensive most ingenious gadget that you've ever bought how do you even approach the interiors then so you've got there's four walls in it two of them are glass two of them you have painted red but how do you decide to do the rest of the space and what's on the ceiling? The base colour is a bright sort of cherry red, but then on top of it, I, I it's actually a specialist painted, like this black and white. Like in my head, I was like so easy. It's like a potato print almost. But in the end, I used my wonderful specialist painter and it's turned into something a little bit more complex. But I think in theory, you could just stamp the wall. So it's got this like black and white pattern stamped on top of it. And then... I just decided to, it's quite a strange mix of patterns. I got this big love seat in there that's covered in my favourite chins from Pierre Frey. I think it's called Le Fontaine. Uh, I've always really loved it. I, I've known about it, you know, for like almost 20 years since I worked for Nikki Haslam. And it's one of those things, I, I really love chins and bold flowery patterns, but a lot of them you kind of get bored of. And I've known that one for so long and I know that I'll always love it. So I put that on the love seat and then... My husband demanded a day bed where he could relax whilst I sit in the love seat. So I then made him, well, made him, <laughs> really, me, I guess, like with all these things, uh, this uh, day bed chaiselongue, which is covered in our Asterius folly. And those three patterns, in a way, perhaps could clash. But there's, there's something about it that, to me, just works. And it's just like a celebration of pattern and colour in a way that I haven't I just didn't really do that in my in the main house and yeah it sort of somehow works I think. (laughs) Sounds amazing I mean obviously I've looked at pictures online like everybody else and if you haven't seen it yet please after you've listened to this episode go and have a look but I mean what were your biggest learnings and challenges when designing and decorating the space? To be honest I think I feel like it all worked out quite well. Um, I went for, sorry, I'm very happy to admit when things go wrong. But in this case, it actually, one thing that I did do this massive love seat, which is like, I think it's one meter 20 deep, which takes up almost like half of the floor space, which seems like it's like way too big. And the previous owners, the furniture they had in there was a lot smaller. But I just kind of went for it uh, because it just thought be such an amazing place to sit and then John wanted this like chef long <laughs> insisted upon it otherwise he just refused to spend any time in there um, and that took up like 
basically the rest of the floor space. So we're left with this like slither of like 70 centimeters of floor space. And in a way seems a bit like something maybe you shouldn't do and perhaps I wouldn't have in another space. But the fact that the entire thing is just like taken up by upholstery is actually, it worked in that space and it's meant for just relaxing and chilling out and chatting. And it's quite fun to really do these oversized things and not like, not be as practical as I would in my main house and I think when you have a small space and it's meant to just have fun in I think just like you could really lean into the fantasy of things and find that it might not be practical for all occasions and yeah that that's I think the thing I enjoy the most of it and I also quite like designing for myself because if something goes wrong I can just change it when it comes to clients you have to be a little a lot more careful to not take risks in case it goes wrong and they're spending all this money and trusting you so I, I really enjoy that and um, I think that's it's a perfect like a garden house or garden shed is a perfect place to do something like that and that's really what I've done with the patterns the colors the types of furniture I have in there and it was a, it's a relief to not have to be so practical if that makes sense yeah totally it sounds so playful so with not much floor space then have you got any storage or what else have you got in there in terms of like trinkets and books not really because you don't really you don't really need to in there but one thing that again I have to that's all was already there the previous owners put that in but there's a shelf quite high up and that's quite good for like a few items it's not so much because it's practical, more because it looks quite nice to just furnish it. So it's like almost at the ceiling height, there's a shelf. And on there, I put some like candles and like a few books and some stuff that like we might want to use. And then there's like one quite big side table next to the love seat. And you might put like a tray for drinks and stuff like that on there. And yeah, there's like a little shelf underneath where I could put magazines and some books. I always keep a few books for the girls in there as well. So we might sit in there and read together. And that's kind of it. But it doesn't it doesn't really need to be that practical because all we do in there is like maybe read a few books or have a drink. So it just needs a surface and somewhere to put some books, and maybe like candles. I also have a little radio in there with Bluetooth so we can like play music and stuff like that. And that's kind of all you need. I feel like you need a bar in there, Beata. Where is the bar? <sighs> well, there is kind of a bar. So I have so on this little square, or well, it's quite a big square table that's next to the love seat. It's probably like yes 70 by 70 centimeters or something like that a friend of mine gave it to me like ages ago and on there I have like a big round tray and when we use it I'll put like bottles and like a little ice bucket and stuff like that but it's more we have actually discussed that it would be good with a fridge but we haven't got that far yet but perhaps that's the next step. (laughs) I feel like since the pandemic we've all really you know we've changed the way that we feel about our homes and we've been trying to find places to work from home have a garden shed have a summer house so if people want to kind of put something in the garden inspired by your project what suggestions can you give us from like sheds permanent tents or shepherd's hut whatever I'm afraid I don't really have a great answer to this question only because this particular summer house was already there and I've actually I did one in Germany uh, for a project we did which I think they just they kind of sent us this catalogue and they bought it kind of off the shelf and had it installed and we painted it in our in our colours so I don't have unfortunately like a good company to suggest because I haven't actually done it but I think with a lot of these things unless you're you know very skilled carpenter um I think looking through catalogues, buying something sort of off the shelf that's perhaps made out of wood, and then you can do a lot with how you paint it. And, you know, I think in theory, what I did 
although it got a bit more complex with my specialist painter, I think it's something you can do yourself and you can sort of, you know, paint it a bright base colour, stamp the walls with a pattern if you want the kind of wallpaper effect. Basically what I did want in there was a wallpaper, but you also have to think a little bit about it being outside so that it doesn't get damaged or it might be a little bit more, it's not going to be quite as dry as your normal house would be. So I think if you want a wallpaper, it's better to paint the walls rather than having an actual paper, I would say. I really think this idea with like a remote control so you can turn it on and off for your, from your house makes so much more out of it, even when you don't wait, even when it's not in use in the colder months. But actually, like, for example, in winter, we have this like tiny little heater. And if we turn that on for half an hour, it's warm and then go in. It's warmer in there than it is in the main house. So basically, I would say it's just a great place for yeah fantasy, like maybe testing things out, perhaps don't take it quite so seriously and just kind of go for it. <laughs> Did you have to use specialist paints then for inside of the, of the I keep wanting to say shed, but the pavilion, the Chatsworth? No, it's just normal paint. It was just like a normal kind of eggshell finish. Um, so that's like nothing special, but it was just, I think something like a paper might start peeling off. We do have electricity in there. Again, so it's got a little meter on the side. Again, that was installed by the people we bought the house from. But there's no heating or anything like that. But it, it seems to just keep really dry. We've never had any issues with anything. I put some like nice things in there. But my general approach is you shouldn't have to worry about your interior. So you just have to be relaxed about it. I think perhaps being an interior designer, I sort of, I'm probably overall, I don't, I'm pretty relaxed about things like, put in I don't worry that much if we get like a little bit of mud on like one of the fabrics I'm quite casual about it but it can be my line of work as I know it's not such a big deal or you can change it easily and so forth but otherwise like just put things in there that you I would always say that for any home and everything you put in but things you don't have to worry about too much you can feel relaxed about because you know if it's outside people will go in with like it might be a bit muddy from time to time and so, so that's another thing to think about just things that you don't feel too precious about but I almost like it almost looks a bit too it looks more over the top than anything in my own house I quite like the idea of making it look like quite grand in a way but personally I just don't really care about any of those things getting a bit like messy but that's also me depends a bit on your approach but any kind of clients that have been inspired by this product you mentioned um that you did something in somebody else's garden like how like how did you go about devising that in terms of interiors and have you got any tips and tricks that you can kind of tell us about I think with that one she wanted that one having seen my own one that's why she came up with the idea so that one was like a little bit more um it was a bit more simple that just suited the setting a bit more so there we almost did the inverse so this kind of like it's called like a lusthus in Swedish, but it's it's a bit like it, it's this kind of octagonal shape. It's like a folly and it's got windows all around it. And the bits of wall that are in there, it's all tongue and groove, like white washed painted boards, like a white painted floor. And we just sort of fill it with vintage pieces and made it feel like a sort of little summer house by the seaside because this particular house in Germany is, is just by the water and got some like nice vintage posters and it, it feels a bit more French and romantic. And then the outside we painted in quite a, like a sort of quite a strong raspberry pink. And then with like navy blue, like contrasting bits of wood going around that like hexagonal shape. Um, so that was, the expression of it all turned out quite differently from the one from from my one for example but yeah it's just whatever is right for for where you are it's so 
I guess using vintage pieces, I think it's always nice in, in places like that. Again, it's something you might feel a bit more relaxed about or something that has a bit of pattern and age to it already. So it sort of matters a bit less as it's, you know, starts aging or getting a bit more lived in or, or you know, a few marks or dents or whatever. So I think vintage is a lot more forgiving and you can find obviously really inexpensive things when you buy vintage it's walking down the street and you know going to like junk shops or whatever um so that's another thing I would maybe yeah consider in a space like that and if you're not like me maybe don't use too much upholstery but I just really love the and you know how it's not practical and I don't care it's, I, I, there's something about that that makes it a lot more magical the sort of the impracticality of it all and I really love that it makes it feel so sumptuous and like luscious but I could see why everyone might not want to do that so perhaps avoiding too much upholstery is probably be like a better idea but it's the opposite of what I did I mean <laughs> would it be wild to is there like a waterproof outside upholstery that someone could use in in a nice print or do you not think that that would feel as cozy I mean, personally, I really, for some reason, I, yeah, I did the opposite of that. But that's also just me. But I, yeah, I think that's very sensible and something that should be considered. I did actually put this underneath the love seat. It's like a lining of this waterproof material um, that we put there just to kind of protect it a bit. But I kind of regret doing that because it feels a little bit like crink. It's, it's almost like you have like a sort of plastic sheet or something underneath the upholstery. So I actually wish I hadn't. And I think it would have been fine without it. But yeah, I think an outdoor fabric is, is obviously always like sensible and a good idea. And there are some good prints out there, like Christopher Farr, for example. It's not super cheap, but they do really nice ones, um, like lovely prints that are good for outdoors. And actually, again, it's not super cheap, but Flora Soam stuff and really beautiful ones as well. It's just hard to find exterior fabrics that don't look a bit kind of bland, I think you don't really want them to look like your average outdoor fabric you want it to look like an interior like something you'd look at using your in, inside I think and what about flooring then do you think that you should be sympathetic to the flooring that is already down or you would you say that you should definitely put down your own uh, no so like for example if you buy an off-the-shelf sort of shed or summer house um I think you can for example paint the floor that's what we did so I painted in a dark dark green I think it was Sarah and Ball's studio green which looks kind of almost black but there's a there's an edge to it that softens it and especially if you're outside you see the greenness of it a bit more and I was really happy with that it felt quite mossy and like an extension of what's outside and then you just sort of step on inside to it so it depends what the floor is but I think a painted floor, I think, always looks nice, and it and it's an easy, it it's an easy fix. But it depends a bit on what it looks like. It's also nice to just keep it natural. And again, like a painted floor, like dirt shows up quite quickly on it. Again, I don't really care. I quite like it, especially when it's something sympathetic like dark green that it comes up against. But if you if you don't paint it, you like marks and stuff like in its wood, you won't see the marks as much. So that might it depends like on your preference and how much you mind about seeing like muddy marks on the floor and stuff like that another thing that I did is like I put lots of um like all the walls they're quite strong but then I cover I put a lot of prints and stuff like that like inexpensive artworks or posters or things that I found because I think as a house evolves you sometimes upgrade you might have had some like kind of slightly inexpensive things that you started off with and then you might upgrade as the time goes by and it's quite a nice place to sort of put things like that that you're not too worried about or like art posters from exhibitions or whatever um, so that's another thing to give it more character and just make it look a bit more indoorsy, if that makes sense. 
Yeah. I mean, how do you feel about themes? So say you are lucky enough to live by the water. Is going full nautical a good idea because you can be more playful in this space? Or do you think that you should kind of, you don't really agree with the whole theme thing? No, there's just basically, there's no hard and fast rules. You should just go with your feeling. And I, and I think it's such a good place to just do exactly what you feel like, exactly like what makes you happy. The, the reason, the, like the best thing about uh, our summer house is that you go in there and it feels like you've gone somewhere else, especially like in lockdown. That was amazing. It felt like we were like in another world. So I think if I was to give any sort of overarching advice, it would be to make it feel different for your main house, like make it feel like an escape and another world that you go into. And if that's like a nautical theme and that's what makes you happy, then like, great, do that. And we talked a bit about kind of the putting in those vintage pieces. Can you give us any kind of interior designer inside secrets of where the best places are to get? beautiful vintage items I mean I think it really just can be anywhere I, I I do think that sort of auction houses are a bit in a way underrated I mean, there's a lot of online auctions that are inexpensive and you can you know just search online find different ones and you can make some real finds that get quite nice stuff for not very much um, but even like I found really nice things is walking down Portobello Road and like buying a chair for like £10. You just have to sift through things and look. This It's not like kind of one and like eBay can be great. Like even I don't use it that much, but like Facebook Marketplace can be quite good. And like you just have to sift through stuff and be a bit open minded and not too sort of snooty about how they're like the packaging around it looks, if that makes sense. And sort of see beyond that. And then, yeah, just sort of trawl through shops, anything like anything even if it doesn't look that great from the outside just go in look look through it all and there's normally a few things you know things made out of solid wood uh, it's like sort of can be you could buy amazing chest of drawers that are like solid pine for like you know 30 pounds and you can paint it and that can look incredible and will last a long time um so if you're going to go cheap I think going vintage and buying something that's been around for at least like 50 60 years hopefully means it's going to last for another 50 60 years it's normally sort of better quality than something that you buy on the high street that's new that costs the same so I think it's just you just get more for your money um you just have to sort of fall through different places and look around I couldn't agree more with Beata about buying vintage furniture it's built to last and it's better for our wallets and the planet the best places I would say to go would be eBay, Facebook Marketplace, Vinteria and Antiques Market like Kempton in London. But just to find your local one, have a look online. Okay, so what if you're looking to invest in a new Scandi style outhouse that's totally made just for you? Or maybe you're wanting to add some fancy features to your store-bought summer house. Well, look no further because design director of Hutsmith, Dudley Radford, is here to tell us how to master a mini room at the bottom of your garden. Dudley is used to working with big budgets for more robust and functional cabins. But what do you get for your money if you've got the cash to splash? And if you're working on a low-budget outhouse, how can you steal some of the big-budget ideas? Here are all the answers from the man who can with a refreshing, modest approach. So Dudley, can you tell us about your bespoke outhouses and can you describe what they look like for anybody who hasn't seen them yet? Yeah, yeah, sure. Essentially, we've sort of lent on minimalism, sort of Nordic minimalism with a Japanese craft to it. And what you get is, first of all, you get a pitched roof. So most outhouses 
and garden buildings are flat roofs. So with us, you get a dual pitched roof. And most of our buildings are clad in a charred uh, or a burnt larch. So um, they're essentially black. There is a choice of cladding, but most people go for the black. Um, and I guess a key feature is that all our gutters are invisible. So, uh, and people always ask us, how do you do that? And it took, you know, months of sort of engineering to figure that out. So as a consequence, you just get something that's that's really clean, uh, which is something that people like. And, and the general principle is we have six product models, all with a slightly different theme. And then clients are able to move the windows and, and doors around just to suit their own um own location because i mean i have got so many pins on my pinterest of outhouses in norway and sweden scandinavia really where these kind of small wooden cladded outbuildings are super popular in flat pack but don't really exist in england so i was so excited to find out about hutsmith how long have you been running and where and, and how did you start well, it's really funny you should say that because it actually started um, with a Pinterest board. And then I personally wanted one. And, and the Japanese retailer Muji, uh, who most people in this country would know for sort of clothing and, and furniture, they designed one. And so I called them up and said, you know, where can I get one? And unfortunately, and it's a beautiful little outhouse, really reasonably priced. But they said, look, we're only launching it in Japan. And to this day, it still exists. It's one model, it's Muji, and it's only in Japan. So we then, um, just before COVID, probably three years ago now, in fact, we, uh, myself and my business partner, who's an, who's an architect, um, we, we built what we built a couple, we built two. And we had an agreement with both clients that they knew that they were guinea pigs. So they agreed to pay the cost of materials. And, and the feedback was really good. And you know, we put a website together and we literally organically built one. Then we built another, hired a couple of carpenters. So we're still a small team building one building at a time. And here we are, you know, two and a, two years later and we've built over 40 buildings now. What is the difference between a cabin and a garden outhouse? And is there a difference? Yeah, I mean, the th <laughs> so for me, we, we sort of see a cabin as a space that, that, that's unique to the client so that, um, you know, you, you can end up working in there or just sleeping in there. Or we have a lot of artists who use our cabins as, as studios. And I suppose for us, a sort of garden outhouse is probably something you've inherited. It's sort of there when you move it, you know, when you move in. And and probably is there more to serve a purpose about sort of supporting the home environment and the garden and so on. So um, we've done maybe three or four where customers have asked us the same question and we've ended up designing essentially one building with two doors and you go through one door and you've got the cabin uh, area and you go through another door on the other end of the building and it's not insulated this bit, but it's it's where they keep their bikes and lawnmower and stuff like that so there, there's a subtle distinction wow that sounds amazing what other kind of little luxuries or quirks do your cabins have that garden sheds perhaps don't i think that probably the main thing is maybe about half of our clients put mezzanines in our buildings so you know and if you think that our buildings are maybe three or four meters wide you get a really decent amount of space to sleep in for sleepovers whether it's for 
adults or kids and and that's not something you could ever do in a in a sort of existing outhouse or, or shed just because structurally you know it's quite some job to hold that amount of uh, of load but then the other things and I guess this is not to say you couldn't do this in an existing outhouse is that because our buildings are lined in ply clients do get generally a little bit excited about the idea of creating built-in furniture and desks and so on and we, I don't know if you remember the game uh, Tetris, where you had to make sure the shapes, you had to use up all the space, that was that was it. And so we're quite good now in taking relatively small spaces and doing clever sort of, sort of multi-purpose things, you know, whether it's storage and seating combined and things like that. So, um, and then I guess the final thing, and anybody could do what I'm about to say, is just to have some fun with materials so you know we've got a few projects where for instance uh yeah we lined the entire building inside in in a beautiful walnut ply and the client says well i've got some sort of restored oak victorian flooring i don't want to waste it and so we said well actually why don't you put it on the floor and it provides a nice little counterbalance to the sort of ply and so um yeah there's lots of things you can do because um, at the end of the day, all of these structures are fundamentally the same. They're four walls and they're two bits of roofing and a floor. And the, maybe there's one or two windows and a door. So, so they're all fundamentally the same. So, you know, there's all sorts of things you can do just with your imagination and with, uh, you know, a variety of different materials. Do you have to have planning permission, by the way? If you're putting one of these in your garden, you don't have a big garden. Is, is it something that you need to speak to the council about? There's a sort of simple rule of thumb here. So generally, because our buildings are dual pitched roofs, they're all over uh, 2.5 meters. If you want one of our buildings without planning permission, that building has to be two meters from your boundary. Now, obviously, a lot of people live in terrace houses. We have clients in, you know, in and around London and, and the cities. And so, you know, you're never going to be able to do that because your garden is maybe four me- four or five meters wide maximum. So, you know, you, have, you can't go over two and a half meters, sorry, on, on that basis. If you did want one of our buildings in a very small garden, given it's over two and a half meters high, you'd have to get planning permission. And then the other outliers are all about conservation areas and area of outstanding natural beauty and regardless of the size of your garden or whatever you know in bath or the lake district or wherever the chances are you will have to get permission especially if you're in a conservation area i mean i live in a conservation area and um it was a long drawn out difficult process to get anything through for people kind of having a bespoke cabin made for their garden what do you get asked for is it Um, looking at the location of the sunrise and the sunset or the size of the garden or what they want to use it for, functionality, practicality. Where do you begin if you're doing something that's kind of on a more modest scale for someone's garden? Yeah, so, I mean, the first thing is that people always think they want something bigger than they actually do. And hand on heart, it would be sort of quite easy to run with that and sell something that costs more than something that's smaller. But in every single case we just encourage people we had a client once had a small london garden and he literally wanted to fill it 
and I have to say, we we sort of said, you you know, you're, you're crazy, and and uh, what about your neighbours, and what about planning? Oh, I'm not going to do planning. I'm just going to do it, and da 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 da. And you know what? We we sort of walked away from it because we just couldn't emotionally and mentally and practically and morally um, get to grips with, with, with what they wanted to do. So first things first, um, we encourage people not to go more than 25, 20 or 25% of their, their garden. And I'm talking about obviously town gardens. And then secondly, it really is about uh, where the sun is. And I, and I kid you not, it's on a cloudy day, we say to people, Where's, which is south facing? And they go, oh, don't know. Well, where's, where's the sun at lunchtime? You know, and never really thought about it. So that's really the other the other key thing because, as I say, if you've got your main uh, feature glazing um, facing the sun at midday, you know, the thing is going to be uh, really warm. Now, now the other thing is a subtle thing is about connection to the household. So, you know, some of our clients have kids, or even if they don't have kids, they just still want to be able to nod to the kitchen window. And, uh, you know, not to look out of the kitchen window and just to see a, a sort of black wall. So, again, generally, it's just a little sort of weird thing that we tend to encourage. You know, make sure you've got, however small the window is, just some little uh, view back to the, you know, back to the house. So you're not completely cutting off that uh, communication. Now, now, you know, some of our cabins are, you know, so far from the house, you're not going to see the house anyway. But I would say uh, I would say size and, and position are, are the key things, and 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 if you get those two things cracked, then although we've got six different designs at Hutsmith, um, generally the building designs itself because it then becomes obvious where the main glazing comes. It becomes obvious where any other um, secondary glazing goes and and the entrance and and so on. So um, so the design process is really about us, the client, and the input the actual location wants to uh, wants to provide. You have this G and T question that you ask your clients. What is that? <laughs> so, so that that's an extension of what I've sort of been talking about, really. So that a lot of customers have terraces outside the house, and uh, they sort of say, "Oh, this this is great terrace. It's brilliant for breakfast." But obviously, I'm blooming cold in the evening because the sun's the other way at this point. Now, the chances are, if you've got a cabin down at the bottom of the garden then the cabin is going to grab the evening um, sun. So if that's the case, we always say to people, well, you know, if it's going here, why don't you just add a little one by one meter by three meter decking to the cabin? And then you're going to have two hours of evening sun here. So, you know, when six o'clock hits, grab your cocktail of choice and actually instead of suffering on your patio when the sun's not there at least you can you know sit outside the cabin of course because the cabins are black at least almost all of them are you know really traps the heat so so that that's what that's all about and and probably again not everybody has decking but I'd say half of the cabins we do just have you know even if they're just meter deep decking across the front elevation of the of the cabin uh, they'll they'll generally do that. For people who perhaps um, this is kind of completely out of budget and they like like the idea of a bespoke cabin, what elements can they put into their own garden outhouse or garden shed if they've got one to make it feel like a bespoke cabin? I think um, this is mostly about um, 
interior applications. So, so from my point of view, it's about you know we're not experts in this. Um, you know, it's about uh, furniture. It's about you know personal possessions, just something that has zero value to anybody else, but might have sentimental value to you. Um, it's about uh, decor and whatever your taste is. You know, you could very easily create you know sort of I don't know sort of like Frida or, or the South American type look or a stripey or by the beach or whatever it is. So you know we we got one customer that's actually and he could have done this without us. But he's turned his, um, I mean, I guess it, I guess it's a bit of a man cave, but he's got a um, an old-fashioned Coca-Cola drinks dispenser, you know, jukebox, pool table, and, um, you know, sort of, there was a TV show, Happy Days, years and years ago. Um, anyway, it's a sort of like a theme, it's an Americana-type theme. So I think the key thing for me would be your own treatment in terms of decor. But secondly, you know, you can you can really easily... It just amazes me when I go to the local tip and, and what have you, the amount of timber, especially, that gets thrown away is just you know, horrendous. So that it's really easy, especially through reclamation yards, just there's some beautiful aged, especially timber, um, that you can pick up. And with not much DIY skill, all of a sudden you've got a pretty amazing looking floor or cladding on walls and, and so on. So. Um, and then the last thing for me is lighting. We're a bit keen on lights for two reasons. One, um, nice, well-designed lighting looks great. But secondly, um, you've got the practical lighting in a, in a space is absolutely critical. Whether you're sat at a laptop, uh, whether you're doing ceramics or literally just putting on a, you know, just just doing your yoga and just chilling. So, and, and, and therefore you can do, you know, with floor lights, wall lights, pendant lights, and you mix all of those things together and you've got an infinite number of possibilities. I love the kind of, uh, the idea of doing it yourself. Uh, what tips and tricks do you have for people who are thinking about giving this a go themselves? I mean, we, so we actually have a little shed that we built from old windows and we've got our builder to help us put it all together. It was an absolute nightmare, but brilliant fun. I would love to hear your kind of tips for anybody thinking about doing that. Yeah, so the first thing is, is we sort of touched on it at, at the beginning of the conversation, is get get those Pinterest boards um, loaded because there's inspiration everywhere. And um, so that's the first thing I would do. And, you know, a lot of people send us sort of slightly scruffy sketches, and this is what they want to... And that's exactly what you've got to do. But the uh, the third thing, and probably the most important thing, is that it's really easy to build something in a couple of days that'll be good for the summer. Um, but you'll find if it goes up too quickly without much thought, it'll be it'll have bugs in it. It'll be damp. You know, within within a year. So um, it's really worth whether you do it yourself or, or get some help just to make sure that structurally it's secure and, and well insulated. You don't have to have invisible gutters or any, any of that stuff, although we would share our drawings if people want to want to do that themselves. But it's just about something uh, building something that has real integrity, has your you know personality on it, but is going to last. You know this is about this is about making sure for, for example, the door is going to click shut as good in year two 
as it does on on day one and and that's a real classic but if you get that st stuff wrong and then all of a sudden a bit of damp comes in and the door doesn't shut properly it's just going to really annoy you and um and you probably ended up wasting your money and there are lots of local builders out there i know it's a it's a bit of a lottery and we're lucky that we have a, a great team but um you know remember these structures the way we build these structures these timber frame structures is three four five hundred years old it's not you know this is not 3d printing a building or anything like that so so it's relatively straightforward and given that most of our clients do send us their own sketches you know i mean everybody really to a degree has has a capability of of doing it and and funnily enough that lady i've just seen i didn't catch all of the email but that lady's just just i've seen the mail pop up and she's just basically said thank you very much um we'll definitely be calling your um and i guess i guess the mail was going to say uh, the uh, suppliers you suggested so there you go what are the things that we could do with an outhouse if we were building from scratch that people might think i never would have thought of that yeah well so again one one of the first things this is sort of one of the world's best secrets really in that um the base is is absolutely critical because you know for, for obvious reasons so that and then people generally think either are just laid on some paving slabs at the paving slab they're 30 quid each you know i could spend 100 quid on paving slabs and i'm away that's really a terrible idea because the chances are you know the slabs are just going to move and and again cause loads of problems down the line secondly people think about you know a concrete base now apart from the terrible green credentials of a concrete base it's messy and um you know and it's expensive so first thing and and this is what we do on every building is look at ground screws so these are literally giant screws as you can imagine they're, they're about 1.2 meters high and you literally ratchet them all the way down into the ground you maybe need nine for a little out shed um, but you know you, you line up uh, all the screw heads and you've got a really really solid carbon friendly inexpensive way of securing the, the building so you know it's all very well you know doing pinterest boards and getting excited but but actually the first thing the pe thing that people never really think of is the base so so that's a, a bit of a critical one from from our point of view what are the options you know if someone didn't want a proper cabin like what are the what what are some other fun options that we could th kind of think about is it like a old gypsy caravan or a getting you just a simple shed from B&Q and doing it up like what kind of interesting ideas can we also think about outside of the box yeah so so um there's this um really incredible Yugoslav designer in the 60s late 60s and he made these he made this um carbon fiber pod system um that ended up on New York train uh, a platform selling newspapers and the, and the things connected and so on and so forth. Why am I saying that? Because um, I was at a reclamation place the other day and there were there were a couple of these pods and um, you know they're not to everybody's um, taste and I'm, I'm definitely not suggesting they are but my point is you know there's a structure that was maybe three meters by three meters and you know and it depends what your taste is and I immediately looked at that and thought wow um, I'd love to, you know, it was it was like 600 quid. I mean, that was basically good for nobody unless you 
think in a slightly strange way. But other than that, you know, um, think about, um, you often see old sort of water tanks and, you know, sometimes you see them in allotments. Often they're clad in a sort of tin, silver tin corrugated material. Even if it's a B&Q shed, which you can buy probably for seven or 800 quid, we're a bit keen on the insulation. I've made that point already. You know, insulation is relatively inexpensive. And then there are all sorts of, um, uh, not cheap, but all sorts of amazing uh, stains that you, can, that you can use. So if you're not prepared to clad it in, in, a, in a different material, you know, there's all sorts of quite expensive, but lovely stains uh, made by companies like um, Technos. And all of a sudden you can turn something that looks quite average to at least something that looks a damn sight more than you you know 700 quid uh, or, or whatever but um and then and then the other thing is i haven't really mentioned this yet is an, a slightly stating the obvious but um it's uh, you've got to think about getting the power to wherever you are situating that because yet for most people a cabin without power is just a shed and you might as well just stick your bikes in it so it just needs thinking about it's a few hundred quid but uh, and also um, if you do that you can get internet over power adapters so again most people want you know want what they're doing with the with wireless in there as well so but i think honestly um paul smith wrote a book a few years ago now uh, called something like inspiration is everywhere or something like that and you know, for me, that's that's sort of it. If you're really enthusiastic about it, you know, when you're walking down the street, just keep your eyes open. When you're reading magazines or, or talking to people, just, just always just keep, and think, ah, yeah, that's, that's where I'd be, I, I would say. Oh my gosh, so many fun ideas. I, I, I actually remember going to like a little cabin that I had a fire in the middle and a little bar and like furry seats. And I remember me and my husband being like, oh my God, we want one of these. Um, but um, probably wouldn't go into our London garden. But yeah, there's, the possibilities are endless. And like you say, if you really soak up that imagination is everywhere then the sky's kind of the, the sky's kind of the limit even even when you haven't got a huge budget you just need to be imaginative and you've given us some really really great ideas so thank you so much well no that's that's a pleasure i think um i just think it's a sort of final point for me i used to think this was a sort of male trait but i've i've changed my mind on that and that i just think that however big or small your house is however well or otherwise you get on with whoever else might live in that house just the sort of emotional benefit of having somewhere however small um, that you can just step out to you know is practically is really useful Thank you so much to Wix for sponsoring So How Do You and remember you don't have to do a total refurb to refresh your room so visit wix.co.uk for all your DIY needs well, that's good news for us all then. We can have a fancy summer house of our own without sacrificing too much of our hard-earned cash. Thank you so much to the amazing Beata and Dudley for sharing their expertise. I really do hope that you're walking away from this episode full of ideas and that you've managed to have a sneaky peek at the Chatsworth Outhouse and the Hutsmith Cabins. Next week, I'm going to be wrapping my head around living rooms, which I'm very excited about because I'm currently redoing my living room and I have got a lot of questions about storage, layout and furniture. So please join me for that one. 
Make sure you check out our Instagram page as well at So How Do You Podcast for plenty more interior inspiration. And don't forget all of the other episodes are available season one and season two wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you so much for listening. I've been Laura Jackson and that's how you make your shed into a beautiful outhouse. Thank you.